Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Scuba. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving podcast. Right. So first of all, thanks to everyone for your nice feedback from last week's episode. We had Recondite returning to the show. That was the first time we've had a return guest and I think it worked out pretty good. It was nice to be able to, to have a slightly different structure conversation, I suppose, a little bit. But actually, this week's conversation is kind of similar, despite the fact that the guest this week is making his first appearance on the show. It's Matt Dryhurst. Now, Matt is, uh, I guess he's a just an important thinker in music these days, but music, I suppose, at the intersection of technology specifically. So he was very involved in um, exciting stuff around Web3 and more recently, I suppose the focus has shifted to AI, but we do talk about Web3 as well. Now, I realise that's a subject which has, um, well, let's just say the shine has come off it to a large extent. And yeah, we've talked about that a little bit previously on the show, but I guess price action is probably the main explanation for that. But Matt's involvement with it is definitely not on the financial side. It's much more on the, um, I guess, trying to explore the possibilities of such technology for people who make music, which is, I suppose, not commercial. I think that's the kind of main area here. So Matt has done much of his work with Holly Herndon. They have a great podcast called Interdependence. And Interdependent Music, as a general, I guess it's a kind of, theoretical framework that Matt has built out. And we talk about that in some detail in the conversation today too. So this is pretty wide ranging and it's very much focused on, I guess, issues and emergent technology stuff as opposed to kind of broad narrative. And as such, it's a really, really interesting conversation that I think you're going to enjoy. So yeah, strike yourselves in for this one. It is a good one. Before we get started, remember you can support the show on Patreon if you're feeling what we're doing here 
then we are dependent upon subscriptions to keep the thing going. So patreon.com slash scuba official. There's two extremely well, fairly priced tiers there that you can invest in. I can put it like that. However, if you don't want to, if you can't afford it, also cool. Hit the five star button wherever you listen to this podcast. That also helps the show. That would be nice of you to do. You can also follow the Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes to that playlist containing much of the music we talk about on the show. And also you can join us in the Discord, hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord. That is a Hot Flush Recordings Discord server, but there is a Not A Diving Podcast channel in there as well as a private area for patrons if you wanted to go down that road too, which would be nice. That would be nice. Anyway, I'm going to shut up and without further delay, here is Matt Dryhurst. Matt Dryhurst, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Pretty good, thanks. Yeah, I just went on an epic morning walk with my son which was uh, fun. So I feel a little bit sunburned and ready to go to bed, even though the day hasn't started yet. <laughs> right. Are you in Berlin? Yeah. Yeah. How's Berlin been this summer? Uh, it's great. I mean, it's, uh, it's very warm. Um, those, uh, most people probably know uh, about Berlin by now, but it's in our neighborhood. It's quite nice. It's like, yeah. Uh, how to put it. It feels like COVID never ended for us. Cause there was COVID, which is like really low activity. And then we've had a kid. And so we're just kind of getting used to a new schedule in this neighborhood and it's very quiet. Um, but it, it's been, it's been warm. I have like a small air conditioning unit to make it bearable. And um, yeah, th- things are well. I don't know. Nice. Good. So where, where are you? Uh, I'm in Palma in Mallorca. Oh, lovely. God. Actually my, my air conditioning packed up and has only just been fixed so i've just um i spent the last week i must have lost so much weight just through sweating which has not been pleasant at all (laughs) to be honest but it's working again now so it's all good everything's fine sounds like one of the more pleasant ways to lose weight but yeah (laughs) right well i don't know it hasn't been pleasant (laughs) anyway just to kick off could you introduce yourself and give listeners i guess a sense of your your kind of important projects and the projects you have going on now yeah sure um yeah it's always difficult um yeah so i'm matt uh i, I guess i'm an artist i spend most of my time on that stuff um and i work with my partner holly um and yeah other than that um we do a podcast together called interdependence um which is more or less us kind of making our studio process somewhat quote unquote open source right we're just like um you know, we tend to dig into a lot of subjects and, uh, rather than having those be private calls, we make them public calls. Um, and so that's been good. Something we started over the, over the pandemic. Um, and then more recently we co-founded an organization called spawning, which is like an AI data, uh, company. Um, so yeah, so there's quite a few hats, but it, it all coheres together into, uh, into a, a somewhat uh, yeah, somewhat consistent, uh, schedule. <laughs> right. It's all, okay. I, I see it. I see it all as the same thing. Um, but, but, but yeah, so we're kind of like in between a lot of different worlds. Uh, but that's, that's normal at this point. Okay. I wanted to start with, well, actually to be honest, I've, I've spent the morning trying to figure out how to just, how to structure this and I'm not massively the wiser to be honest, but I thought it's fine. <laughs> I thought a good place to start might be interdependent music because i i kind of have the sense that that kind of informs at a broad level quite a lot of the other stuff that i want to be talking about so can you describe what you mean by interdependent music please 
Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll try and make it concise. I mean, uh, long story short, so, you know, I've been in and around what most people would describe independent music all my life, right? I started a job working at a label when I was 19 and have been involved in various capacities since then, right? So, What label was that, actually, if I can just interrupt? Um, it was called uh, Southern Records. Okay. which a lot of people don't know, but Southern Records was started by this guy, John Loder, who is a bit of a legend, um, was also an amazing kind of uh, uh, record engineer. He was the guy that more or less kind of made crass records um, a thing. Um, Southern was one of the templates, you could argue, for independent music, period. Um, also, a lot of people in dance music might know SRD, so the, the distribution wing of Southern that yes. was very, very kind of, I think, I, I'm not entirely sure what's up with SRD now. It's been a while, but um, uh, yeah, but I mean, John Loder and, and Southern's kind of interesting, right? Like he was the person who kind of, you know, distributed Discord records, Touch and Go, all the original kind of indies from the States. And, you know, when, when Loder passed, uh, Ian from Fugazi cited him as being kind of one of the main motivations behind the success of Discord and that kind of whole ethos. Um, so yeah, so it was a pretty, pretty interesting first job. Definitely a lot to learn and uh, kind of its own its own little chaos. But, but 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 long story short, right? So I'm quite well versed with the lore of of independent music and have done more or less everything in, in my time. Um, but you started my criticism at least was that this kind of older idea of independence <clears throat> that was considered, you know, this kind of progressive aspirational thing in maybe the late 20th century, probably a bit before my time, just started to become kind of the dominant ideology and culture, right? Where in the social media era and kind of like the slightly libertarian Californian uh, kind of tech mantras that have seeped into into popular culture that ostensibly, you know, the, the my claim in a sense was that, that you can have too much independence that actually, you know, that in some sense that when you take indep- independence philosophy to its its logical conclusion or to its kind of extreme, uh, as we've seen in the past maybe two decades, um, you know, it, it it could also be seen as a as a as an argument for um, you know, for isolation, right? And I think that that's something that a lot of people experience. And so, when looking back at what I try, what I cherish about independent musical culture or the things that I've contributed to in my time. Um, what was actually striking to me was the interdependence of it all, right? That if you just take the independence line and you say, uh, you know, you see artists as these special, unique individuals that float through the world expressing themselves unimpeded or labels being these, you know, atomized, uh, you know, uh, satellites that are free from uh, responsibility to anybody else, that in actuality that doesn't really capture what most people enjoy about independent music. That the, the interesting part about independent music always was the interdependence of it. The fact that, you know, there were networks of people in a sense colluding together um, to be able to make something far greater than the sum of their parts. Right. Um, and, and that's actually the real story of independent music is that you have distributors, you have people like John Loder. That's probably the first uh, many people on this podcast will have heard of that name. You have, um, you know, people who work within the industry who, um, aren't don't make the headlines um, and when you strip away a lot of that stuff as we've seen with the kind of cost cutting that's come with streaming and you know these kind of effi- quote unquote efficiencies brought to culture um, you lose a lot of the magic right um, and so that's why I put forward uh, this idea of interdependent music it's a bit of a you know, it's a bit of a one-liner or whatever but but I feel like that actually captures something that you know absent the interdependence absent networks of people kind of 
coming together to to build a culture outside of the dominant ideologies outside of you know the individualism of instagram or whatever um i find myself i'm not that interested in independence i i, I like the idea of um of these networks outside um yeah so that, mm. that's like a, a very a very long long-winded <laughs> qualification for it <laughs> right, right 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 so i mean by the sound of things then it's really a way of describe what i mean that i guess definition of of independence is like the independence that emerged i guess in the 2000s and 2010s alongside i guess web 2 sort of infrastructure is, is is that fair and it's yeah rather a kind of looking back to like the, i guess the pre-2000 age where in, independence was really just not corporate as opposed to exactly exactly it's a rhetorical it's a rhetorical shift right the independence i'm critiquing is all you need is a phone and a laptop and a connection and you can upload your things to spotify and you know you alone will will be able to uh you know um be able to kind of uh hustle your way to the top this kind of independence mantra is is uh uh, what i what i think is ultimately kind of misguided and kind of short-sighted um uh, but exactly you're exactly right like the original independence idea was saying you know you can break away from maybe conservative uh aesthetic uh, expectations or build your own stuff in the great diy tradition um uh, and often those two spirits are kind of conflated and of course they do meet in some uh, in some way but you know uh, uh but but I feel that you know a lot of people, and you'll know this, right? Like you, you run labels and have your own career and have been very embedded in various scenes. Um, you know that reading of culture as being so simple as 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 individuals with talent kind of rising to the top, uh, 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 un- unimpeded or, or unencumbered or, or, or disentangled from other people is just naive and stupid. Um, it's not actually how anything that we value uh, 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 has ever worked. I guess it's the myth of the self-made man right yeah totally or yeah. or obama's you didn't build this which was obviously incendiary but you could see what he was getting at right yeah 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 it, it, and it, and it's a whole ideology right i mean it's definitely a um you know and that was kind of the argument with the independence thing is i think that 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 kind of you know uh, liberatory uh, spirit i can understand given what i understand of the context in the mid to late 20th century where things were a little more uh, conservative and stuffy i understand why that would be considered um, something, something to aspire to, but, but you, you see the opposite side now where, it, and particularly when I talk to people who are younger, you know, they, they seem to be almost suffering from independence, right? That there's a sense of, a sense of isolation and a sense of, uh, you know, uh, not really having anything to contribute to beyond, um, you know, the, the, uh, this kind of aspirational, uh, uh, grind or whatever. <laughs> sounds oh. like, sounds like hell. Um, and the whole thing's a bit of a mirage, isn't it, I suppose? Because, I mean, if your supposed independence requires upon you, well, using these tools and platforms that have been built by companies which have become, you know, globally ubiquitous, then it kind of makes a mockery of a turn, doesn't it, I suppose? And I guess that's the whole point. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's also just not a support structure there, right? So it's kind of, you know, you see things see things come and go. And and, and fundamentally as well, it's also there's also a misunderstanding, I think, how how things happen, right? Like the... I mean, generally speaking, this is a critique I have of of how uh, the cultural press has always worked, right? It, it's it's strange in a way where it, most things that you can read about how uh, 
let's say mu- the music industry works still tend to come on this side of almost like promotional language, right? Like where, where the actual story of how records are made, um, how moments are made, uh, where things come from, what scenes contribute to things is often kind of the, the thing that's written about 20, 30 years later in the retrospective book, if, if it gets that far. But, uh, but generally speaking, if you're just a person on, on the internet trying to understand how how culture works, you don't get the impression that there are these important support networks. There are these like kind of critical, there's critical infrastructure, whether it be label infrastructure, booking infrastructure, um, you know, scenes of people who, who, who do things uh, for fun. Um, uh, you don't, you don't tend to get the impression how pivotal that is to, uh, you know, to uh, cultural movements or things that, that do deviate from expectation. Um, and fundamentally to me, that's, that's what I'm most interested in, right? It's like, I, I don't, um, you know, any culture I've ever been a, a part of has generally been, you know, uh, scenes of people who have to work together uh, in order to seize an idea um, uh, or have to work together I- I- in order to, uh, uh, in order to, uh, to try and make things happen. And, and, and you don't often, you won't, you wouldn't get that impression from reading about things. It tends to usually be, you know, the name on the record and, uh, uh, and some uh, nonsense uh, Genesis story. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. At what point did you start to become, I guess, suspicious of this stuff? Because I mean, I think we're a similar kind of age and, you know, social media and these kind of platforms, I guess, and this whole kind of, I guess, methodology of having a, a career or trying to make a way uh, as a quote unquote artist, I guess has been around for m- the vast majority of both of our um, certainly professional lives anyway. So at what point did you start? Um, well, I think, yeah, suspicious is the word I I use. Like at what point did you start to kind of raise your eyebrow and, and consider this to be something which is not desirable? It's a good question. I mean, I guess there are probably two stages, right? It's like I was playing in bands as a teenager and then got a label job. And I think it was quite early to be thrown into that. Not to say it was disenchanting, but it could, it was a little disenchanting, right? To like, <laughs> uh, to see how the sausage was made before I was like fully making sausage, right? Like the, um, so, so there's that aspect where it's like, I've never, as a result of that, uh, background, you know, I've never really been able to disentangle, um, the art from the, from the, the broader context of how things end up happening in culture, um, which I'm grateful for, but, but it was just very early to be exposed to that. Um, and then I guess, you know, after I met Holly, Holly and I met in Berlin, this was 15 years ago, something like that. Um, we ended up moving to the States and we ended up in, in Northern California. Um, and so this would have been, and at the time I, didn't have a particular interest in tech, but it was already quite clear when you're there, you know, this was during 2008. So it was during the financial crisis. I was leaving jobs in culture, moved over there and, you know, none of those reference point meant, points meant anything. Um, and so it was, you know, it, particularly in the Bay area around San Francisco, it was like, okay, right. I can either be like, serving tech people coffee or working in tech. It was kind of like the two, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, those are my two options at this point. So, so I decided to get really into it because I mean, that's one thing that, that I'm really grateful for about the Bay, right? Like if, if you do have an interest in those things, it, it's, it's probably one of the best places on earth, if not the best um, to be. And so just interrupt you. What, what was your first degree in? Oh my God. I went to school. I got, I got a degree in media art. Um, but honestly, I barely turned up. Um, right. you know, okay. I, th- I've got this kind of uh, weird thing. So I, I went to school, uh, I went to university, I'm a summer kid. So I went to university at 16, 17 and, um, so I graduated quite early and, um, 
in terms of uh, all I knew was I wanted to be involved in the arts and I wanted to be near London. So I applied to a bunch of schools in and around there. And the one that would take me because of my age was Royal Holloway, which is like a part of the University of London. I think you and Pearson went there, funnily enough. But, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, the degree was was cool, you know, but I was, I was probably too young to be doing it. I just, I wanted to get out of the house and um and be close to London and go play in bands. That was my, uh, that was my thing. So yeah. So in terms of like, I mean, I guess media art, there are, you could, you could dress it up uh, biographically as being somewhat related to what I'm doing now. But at the time I, it was just, yeah, I just picked whatever I could. Um, and so, yeah, so on, on this tech side, you know, it, it just wasn't my interest in the slightest. Um, but then through being in the Bay um, and, and obviously with Holly's interests in and around what she was doing just ended up, going to a lot of things and then be, and then finding an interest in it. Um, and, and I guess the, uh, I wouldn't say, uh, skepticism per se, but, but, um, but the real tension came up because I was coming from this kind of label, let's say independent music background, all of a sudden now hanging out with people, many of whom were in decision-making positions around what the music platforms of, of today were going to look like, right? Like there's a friend of mine, Aza, uh, Raskin, who, you know, he had a company called Songzar, um, and they were the first to popularize the playlist. Like he was the guy that uh, he was like, no, actually, playlists are really good for this reason because they're kind of like mixtapes and they get more engagement for X, Y, Z. And at the, you know, at the time, I wasn't particularly skeptical. I was just, I was just looking at this and being like, something about this doesn't ring right, right? Because because <laughs> you're kind of like carving up you're carving up the record the way in which people talked about music was very uh what's the word like um how to put it it was was just coming from a very different place analytically and so yeah over the course of being there i went i kind of moved between being very enthusiastic about some of the dynamism of it i mean it's a very intoxicating part of the world to be in right there's lots of money and cool big things happening all the time or whatever um and then always falling back to the sense that something was being lost or something was being missed. Mm. Um, and, and speaking of uh, you and Pearson, actually, I'll give him credit because I remember um, around about the time uh, Spotify was 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 kind of emerging. This would be the the late the late aughts. Um, initially, I was kind of sold on the idea because I, I kind of drunk the Kool Aid, and I, I guess I was in this kind of Bay Area bubble where um, everything felt possible. And, and Ewan actually was the first person to push back on me and convinced me, um, uh, and, and started my whatever like uh, over a decade now kind of uh, 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 skepticism over over Spotify and streaming more broadly. Um, so yeah, so uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, like it's it's a it's a slow it's a slow Let process. Let me ask you, yeah. hang on a sec. Like, what was his initial argument against? Oh Lord, I can't, honestly, I can't remember. I just remember him being really, really, I remember the pushback being vociferous. And of course, Ewan's a clever, <laughs> Ewan's a clever guy. So, so I listened. Um, and, uh, no, I, I think, yeah, I think he would, it, 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 it may well have been around the whole compensation thing, to be honest. And, 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 and to give you credit, I mean, he had been, he had been way more ensconced in, in the industry and was, you know, a fair bit older than me at that point. And so, um, I, I had interacted with him and knew him a little bit from, uh, from Berlin prior. And yeah, so when he spoke, I listened and uh, I don't, I'll, after, after dive back, it's probably on Twitter somewhere, um, uh, way, way back in the archive, but, uh, but, but he was most likely right. And, uh, yeah, he convinced me. Right. Okay. So this is a uh, answer to my question about when you first became suspicious. And I guess, when did the, uh, or when did you have a sense that you could do, I guess, do something about it? 
Because, I mean, there are various things that you have been involved with and various developments over the last 10 years, which have become, I guess, progressively more plausible and more, you know, yeah. real in the tangible sense. Like, at what point did this become, did it become important in terms of what you were doing day to day? Yeah, I think, I mean, again, if you wanted to historicize it and kind of make it sound more romantic, you would say, you know, again, there's this kind of like a, a romantic spirit of, of do it yourself and so on and so forth. And you can bring that over into the tech sphere. And I guess there's some truth in that, but I think if I were to be really honest, um, it's mostly just a demystification process, right? So like, generally speaking, I kind of like to know how things work. Uh, I feel more comfortable when I know how things work. And, and it's the same when it comes to like the culture industry as it does with, with tech stuff, like my brain activates when I can start uh, diving in. And I think Oftentimes when we deal with, uh, with technology, and this is certainly my experience, I didn't grow up with any access to this stuff at all. You know what I mean? You, it can seem very intimidating. There's a lot of jargon. There's a lot of, you know, th- there's a lot of complexity there. But going through that process in the Bay, uh, when I moved there in my early 20s, and having to really kind of walk through the fire there, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very clever part of the world. You, you kind of have to learn quickly if you want to get a grip on it. Um, it demystified it, uh, you know, because you're dealing with oftentimes, you know, people around uh, my same age, uh, early 20s are very bright. Uh, don't get me wrong. But but when you know them, uh, you, you understand, oh, okay, like th- these aren't uh, superhumans with special access to knowledge. You know, there's, there's different skill sets and different backgrounds and so, so forth. But, but a lot of it's also just confidence. You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of it's just a lot of people who, I mean, I bring up uh, Aza, I don't want to bring him up too much, but you know, he's, his dad was one of the guys who founded Apple, you know, and the, uh, the, there were characters in and around in and around those scenes who just this was like breathing air to them. You know, this was just so so normal, and and uh, and they they were so fluent uh, in it. And so, being in those environments, all of a sudden it, things become a lot more possible. Not only because I guess uh, if you were to be cynical about it, you could say, oh well, you know, it's it, once it's demystified, it's just like anything. If you if you can develop a strong enough thesis and conviction, you can get someone to fund anything, you know, which is like right. absolutely true in that part of the world. You know, that's absolutely true. There's so much bullshit. Um, but also just that it's not rocket science, really, you know, that, that, um, that in actuality, if you, if you can uh, pull things apart a bit, and if you're given a bit of encouragement to, to understand how, how things work, that, that all of a sudden then things feel, feel very possible. And, and as you say, over the past, whatever, decade or so um i've seen a few of these and, and i guess that's that's kind of also interesting context just in terms of developing confidence is one way of putting it putting it but but also just a bit a sense of optimism is when when you see a lot of things uh somewhat at the ground level all of a sudden the things be, seem like they're more possible right you, you i mean i bring up the the crypto stuff and i mean look i, I will certainly won't um uh, uh, take responsibility for for a lot of the the crap in that in that universe, but but still, uh, you know, seeing a lot of those early embers of ideas then become something of of quite sig- of, of uh, quite significant in the world um, in in a in a in a few years. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think like yeah. just generally speaking, I think where you know, something is emergent, like a lot of the contributions are going to be speculative, right? Whether I mean, not necessarily financially speculative, but just in terms of like flying kites, I suppose. So there's always going to be a, fair, a relatively high degree of things which don't 
go anywhere and and where well in the case of crypto where there is suddenly money sloshing around there will be grifters you know and it's just a case totally, of, like, of, of trying to cut through the um the bullshit as it were you know well exactly and the same and the same's happening with ai right now you know but that doesn't invalidate the fact that a lot of the core ideas are actually really interesting and that um and that and again this is the fundamental that things are changing things is actually possible right that mm. that you know, and I mean, I guess it depends where you set your parameters, right? Like some will set the parameter of like, we need to change capitalism. I'm like, well, that's a pretty big ask, right? That's like, you know, like if you, if you set the, set the goalposts like that wide, then, uh, you know, I mean, like I might agree with some, some of the criticisms, but that's, that's, that's pretty ambitious, right? Uh, uh, but, but when you start looking at things like how a music economy might work, there's a hell of a lot that can be done, you know, uh, um, uh, you you can tweak things, you can tweak parameters and tweak behaviors and, and so on and so forth, tweak designs of things um, uh, 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 to produce different outcomes. And and, and yeah, and I mean, I, I guess, you know, it's a product of, of a little bit of experience, but it's like, um, but having seen a few things now go from being, you know, virtually impossible laughing stocks to actually being like big things in the world. Um, uh, now that, you know, I, I feel a bit more emboldened, particularly when I speak to other people who have ideas about things, I'm like, yep, you probably know as much as the next person, right? You should probably do that idea. <laughs> like, yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, let's talk about AI. I have had various conversations with people, I mean, both socially, but also on the show and just sort of, I guess, non-technologically savvy people for the most part, just to, I mean, I'm really interested in people's kind of intuitions around this stuff and particularly people who are making music. And I think there's a, there is a tendency to sort of catastrophize around it to a, to a large extent. Yeah. But actually also I think there's a, there's a fairly high degree of like fear actually, and sort of intimidation. And one of the things I've sensed is that there's a, there's kind of a tendency to want to sort of disengage with it. And I think a lot of this is, is around, it's, it's, it's a result of a relatively high degree of ignorance. So assuming a fairly high degree of ignorance amongst the people who are listening <laughs> to this. Can you make the ca- the positive case for AI in in music? And I was going to say music production, but let's let's think about music as a whole in terms of you know both making of it and performing of it, and maybe the business side as well. And yeah, can you put a positive spin on this for people who are perhaps skeptical? Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing I'll say, and uh, I think there's a lot to criticize, but. But I do think that yeah, when it comes to AI, right, it's it's so juicy. Um, we have these, you know, the, the concept of the robot or whatever, and the, these kind of <clears throat> old uh, mythologies and stories. Like it, it's so easy to tap into a negative vein or and fear monger. Um, it also turns out that scaring people is kind of all, always the fastest way to sound smart. You know, so there's <laughs> yeah. a, there's a lot of that going on. <laughs> there's a lot of that going on too, right? And it's like, look, I mean, it's going to be both. I mean, I think my my line here is that irrespective, I think there's a lot to be. Uh, cautious about with it. it it's happening it, it's happening very quickly and so putting your head in the sand doesn't really do anyone any favors um depending on what stage of life you're at i guess if you're if you're a bit older and you know uh, things might continue as as they are currently for another 10 years 20 years whatever fine but but if you're at all concerned of, about the future of this stuff then i think it's a responsibility to to care about this uh, uh stuff because it's coming um I, I think the good news is I mean, just just basically, there's a new set of tools that I would argue are significantly more powerful in terms of um, the the ability to uh, create ambitious work, um, to do ambitious things you weren't able to do before, and that is inherently compelling, and that's inherently interesting, and uh, you know, and I I I won't entertain an argument that um, that 
that you know art is in any way threatened by being given access to a whole new capacity to explore doing new things i think that that's great news for any artist to be honest um that being said uh you do have to yeah uh counterbalance that with with the what these tools are are promising to do right which is um you know there is a real danger that as we learn through web 2 and the kind of the enhanced analytics of web two we learned that the vast majority of people who were perhaps in a previous music industry in a time probably before i was really active you know uh those people were a captured audience that were had to buy records and you know didn't you know didn't have so much choice and they weren't really steering the ship they weren't really guiding things the the way things are going with uh with with music generation at this point uh we're learning that the vast majority of them don't really care where the music comes from right that's the story of spotify it's the story of a lot of streaming, a lot of playlist culture. They just want to lay back and listen to uh, whatever's presented to them. And yeah, bad news, right? Like, Can I ask uh, you, when- let me ask you a question about that because that's actually something I did have written down. Yep. To what extent do you think that the streaming model actually encourages that, though? Like, do you think that uh, like it was inherent in the previous model and people were just forced in like almost against their instincts or against their will into buying records, or do you think that having it available? has kind of fanned the flames of perhaps that latent tendency yeah it's a bit of both right i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of romance um around what a music listener was right i remember sitting down with a guy whose name i always forget he's an academic at university of bristol i feel terrible i forget his name but he we sat on some kind of think tanky thing at one point and i was kind of banging the drum for artists in this context it was around streaming payments in europe or whatever and he was like oh you're one of these romantics that thinks people care about music of course you do because you're a musician <laughs> um you know and he he had all these crazy statistics that in actuality the vast majority you know something like the vast majority of records that were purchased in the 70s and 80s were never opened you know and people right. generally like to be considered people who bought records and went to record stores but in it turns out that you know it, right so were, it's a, a cultural signal or something along those lines it, exactly right? it's the same argument with books like you look smart with a book on the tube you know uh and so and so it turns out that i mean i think and i think it is encouraged to your point because what you do see is that uh spotify and other streaming services uh, they're not dumb at all right but their their primary concern largely is, is to create a great consumer experience right so you can say oftentimes uh, and i think that they do guide the guide these things certain ways right it is beneficial to them to keep you on the platform for as long as possible it is beneficial to them in a sense you could argue long term that they would be a go-to music platform where you maybe wouldn't have to worry about getting artists paid right i mean the labels i think are maybe an inconvenience long term to to products like a spotify um right um and so you could you could argue that, but but you could also say that their goal uh, 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 is to provide the music listener with the most seamless, um, personalized experience possible. And it turns out a lot of music listeners really really love that. That the challenge is that there's a subset of music listener that maybe you or I would care more about because we would fall into this. That you know, is, is maybe somewhat alienated by that process, or maybe less, less of those people are being kind of, uh, uh, 
created <laughs> through uh, growing up in those environments. And these are people who maybe care about, you know, where the music comes from, right? I mean, I always bring up the classic example with Spotify. It's like finding out what label really something is really, really difficult, right? Like the context is stripped often from the music entirely. You have like a picture and then you have music that's then kind of dissected and placed on these different playlists elsewhere, completely out of context, but, you know, and so, so in a sense you see almost like a, a it's this kind of listener dominance uh, yeah, I guess within the these environments. Is the only yeah. context in that sense, right? Well, well, exactly. And and again, look, things things are as they are, and I, I won't be kind of uh, despondent about it. But 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 you you also it's inarguable that in those in those kind of environments, a lot of the a lot of the contracts in history and the uh, you know the 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 the, the, the the metadata around work for a better term, right? Like mm-hmm. where something's from, who helped bring it to being, what, you know, what communities are this part of, like a lot of that is kind of removed from the real world and then placed in this fictitious world where all of a sudden the context in which it lives is determined by a random curator who's finding, you know, uh, aesthetic similarities between one track and the other. And, you know, it's, it's very much, a, 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 I would argue kind of a, a can sometimes uh uh uh, uh what's the word um there's a really devastating word that's that i really want to use and it's not coming to mind um <laughs> it's like uh uh it, it's kind of a philistinic um right uh, uh shift of power from the artists and art communities to the observer um and i think that 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 trend is consistent just with social media more broadly where you know the media itself is less the subject of scrutiny and the less kind of the the the, um you know it's less to do with the art and it's more to do with what the art can do for the observer right it's more to do with what kind of moment can you create for a listener that they can then go and do something with right uh because every listener every every poster every um you know their incentive at this point in time is to bring attention to themselves not necessarily bring attention to the artist that was started the germ of the idea right and so you start to see that uh, 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 trend more broadly right where like the things that tend to do uh, the best in these kind of environments are the things that are shareable, right? Are the things that, that that provide raw materials to the observer to then go and build something themselves with, uh, build their own brand with, or whatever. Um, and and yeah, I would argue that in the in the the great history of you know uh, of, of of art scenes and, and and so on, that there's something horribly philistinic to that. That that, that actually I'm, I'm maybe a romantic and believe that you know artists and, and and art groups and art scenes uh, should get to determine their own context and that that that, that will be considered sacred yeah no absolutely yeah i mean that's all totally plausible so sorry i interrupted your um optimistic case for ai there oh yeah no i mean, I mean the, the point is is you know i think there's there's really good um there's good arguments to be had on either side and there's a lot of things i'm very concerned about with with ai i think just the most important point is to say it's happening Yep. Like this is really happening. It's not, you know, uh, uh, this isn't, and, and I guess that, that I always find myself in these kind of odd positions where, I mean, there's been a lot of kind of backlash toward the tech, the, whatever the technology community is quote unquote, right? Like, um, I always find myself in this tension where there's a lot of people who do 
prefer to stigmatize and kind of be dismissive of the most kind of extreme, ridiculous sides of, of, of tech world, because there's a lot to poke fun at, don't get me wrong. And because there's also perceived power, I mean, and there's a lot of power there, right? So it's kind of uncool. Um, it's uncool to kind of, to take it at face value a lot of the time, but, but I can report, uh, you know, this is very serious. Um, you know, this is, you know, the, the, the machine learning enabled, I mean, the web we we interact with currently is very machine learning enabled, but let's say generative AI or this kind of next phase um, uh, uh, of AI is is going to represent how we interact with the internet moving forward. And so, if you uh, you know if you if you kind of glibly dismiss it, as I understand many people uh, have a temptation to do, you're just kind of in my mind postponing uh, the moment whereby you're actually going to have to take it seriously. Um, and so, far better far better to look at it now. Uh, I would propose an optimistic take on it because I think some of the things you can do are remarkable and interesting and understand that with these raw materials for, for this nascent new internet, um, there's actually a lot of possibility for how things could end up. But every year that we delay engaging with it uh, with any amount of seriousness um, is another year where we're losing to other interests, right? Um, and so, so yeah, uh, uh, so th- th- in my mind, uh, uh, in summary, there's kind of no choice but to be optimistic, right? Um, sure. Simply, simply being pessimistic is just confirming or condemning us to whatever uh, will likely happen. And I think a lot of the things that people are concerned about will likely happen, right? It's going to be really easy to generate uh, music that sounds good enough at a click of a button. Uh, maybe you want, you probably won't even have to click a button. Uh, the vast majority of people might be fine with that, uh, listening to that. And so, the the optimistic take on that is that. Uh, I almost wonder if when we accelerate that possibility to its logical conclusion, whether we might see a really interesting reversion, and maybe that's already happening to some extent, uh, back to wanting to connect uh, with the actual humans behind things, wanting to understand their unique context, wanting to dive into their biography and the, the other uh, contextual aspects of what makes them who they are and, and why the humans behind a lot of the work that goes into training these systems um, uh, are special and are interesting, um, and so in some ways, uh, an optimistic take could be if, we, if uh, with the right coordination, um, that uh, that leaning into automation could could actually uh, uh, be better for us than than streaming and, and social media was right. That that, that yeah, it, I mean that definitely makes sense. And I guess I mean a big intuition that I have here is that the more generated the more generated content there is, then the more interest there will be in stuff which is made by a human directly made by a human so there'll be much there'll potentially be much more value ascribed to a technical mastery of an instrument say for example or the live performance of a of a piece um i think there's these these kinds of um relative valuations could quite easily change in what people would perceive to be a positive way you know yeah totally i, I, I always used to say to students like you know that the more media is abundant, uh, the more purpose becomes uh, scarce, right? Like, um, and you, you already see this, right? I mean, not to shit on any one thing, but you can go to, God, I can't remember the names of them now, but these kind of depositories of, of dance music or whatever, where there's like thousands of tracks <laughs> uploaded it, yeah. a day, right? And you're like, and you can't really tell the difference between any of them and whatever, it's fine. But, but, but yeah, but the, the more of that there is, the more scarce it is to find an artist who actually has something to say or comes from somewhere interesting or is, is trying to do something interesting. And, and I agree with you there too, right? It's like the more easy it is to automate things, I think um, it also becomes banal, you know? Um, and, and, and fundamentally as well, I mean, working with these systems for, for many years now, and again, being very excited about them, I mean, there's some crazy stuff that you can do <laughs> that I'm very excited about. Um, 
you also, uh, you, you know, you also start to understand, or at least, and, and I've had people push back on me, but, uh, about this, but I'm, but I'm fairly convicted. I, I think that fundamentally, you know, the, the tag artist, I mean, there is this kind of boring, uh, you know, uh, there's this semantic debate, right? Like a lot of people say, oh, an artist is just someone that makes art. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But like, sure. Uh, but, but, but to me, no, an artist is, is something else, right? An artist generally, you meet that criteria of artistry and this is something everyone can debate about when you distinguish yourself. Right. Yeah. I've made this exact point actually. Yeah. Completely agree with you. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it has two meanings, right. And and both, both apply and they're interchangeable, but, 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 but there's this special category where I'm like, no, 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 there's, there's artists, there's people who make stuff and then there's an artist. Right. And I'm like, and the, and the point is that that process of distinguishing oneself of distinction, it can come through, yeah, being like a, not just like the best guitar player, but being a guitar player that has a certain something that you just can't, you know what I mean? You just can't put your finger on it. There's just something about what they do yeah, that's different than what everyone absolutely. else does. It's intangible, but it makes sense. It brings us up with like Gerald Donald, right? Like you can sequence, you can figure out what the, what the box was that he was using. You can sequence the thing to do exactly the same thing. And there's something about it that's different. You know what I mean? Um, and maybe that's romantic and maybe it's silly, but I think it's true. Um, and so you, you, and so, and I think that the other thing, important thing is to say that when a whole new suite of tools are launched into the world, and a lot of these tools are now becoming more available, these are also just new ways of distinguishing oneself. And so I think, you know, just as, you know, the sampler came out and I'm pretty sure that, uh, the vast majority of people who first got their hands on a sampler did really boring things with it, right? They tried to make it sound like a piano, <laughs> like put it on a controller. So they'd be able to be like, Oh, look, I'm playing a piano. It's just lighter. Right. It's like uh, the vast majority of people did that. And then there were some people who took a sampler and did something insane with it. And that's going to happen with these multimodal models and so on and so forth. And the product of that in my mind is going to be incredibly exciting because, you know, as I said, the, the, the base affordances or, or the, the capacity of what you could potentially do with this stuff is it's abstract compared to more analog studio processes or even a lot of the digital studio processes that, that we're familiar with. And so, so yeah, so that's plenty of reason to be excited, I think, is like, you know, the, there's, there's a bunch more stuff you can do and a bunch more people who I think are going to f- navigate and find interesting niches and interesting new combinations of things to do that you know, that, that, that would seem strange now, but probably won't in 10 years. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, I mean, so obviously one of the problems with all this stuff and with music tech generally and the advancements in music tech are you know, just the fact that there's just an avalanche of, of content. Do you think, there's, is there a realistic 
um, fix to that or some way in which it can be easier to, I guess, I guess cut through the noise or, or, you know, differentiate in a more efficient way so that the people who are going to do this good stuff and no doubt there will be good stuff are able to be sort of more easily identified and are rewarded better, you know? Yeah. It's a good point. I mean, well, one of the arguments for personalization of listening or media um, more broadly that I think is actually one of the more compelling arguments is, yeah, like when you can automate really compelling or convincing media, um, uh, you know, at a rate that we've never seen, um, we're likely going to need our own kind of AI fueled um, algorithms to navigate through that, right? As mostly spam filtering. Um, And so I think this is where it starts to get interesting in terms of new opportunities, right? It's like thinking about what, um, you know, the role that a magazine or a curator or something like that would have played prior. We've seen this a little bit with, as you said, the playlisting and so on and so forth, but I think you you could go even further, right? Like I think um, discovery and, uh, 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 discovery and kind of taste curation uh, is something that, you know, c- could supersede the role of a, a magazine, or could be something that's hybridized with with what we understand a magazine to be uh, uh, going forward. For exactly that reason, there's just going to be so much, um, and so surfacing things that are interesting uh, r- relative to either a group or an individual is going to actually be a, a difficult task. Um, and and again, in order to I think even speculate on those ideas and think about what they might look like, uh, you have to take this stuff. First off, you have to admit that or concede that this is happening. Uh, and number two, then think, okay, well, what would that look like, right? What would it look like to, you know, produce the the cultural publication that you know uh, managed to create signal to noise and like the, the highest the highest human creator uh, 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 ratio of any <laughs> of any uh, personalized algorithm or you know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, oh, but but all these ideas all these ideas are in are in play. Um, and I think, and I think, aren't necessarily aren't necessarily bad, but uh, 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 but yeah, just aren't aren't where people are thinking at the moment. Yeah, yeah I mean, one of the things we've talked about quite a bit on the show recently is um, the concept of gatekeepers and their you know, value actually, and you know, the, the much maligned gatekeeper and their gatekeeping's great. Act- yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way it is. It's it's well, it's also silly. I mean, like. It, well, it's one of these scissors terms, right? Where it like means everything to everybody. Sorry, I'm cutting you off right now. I'll, no, no, I'll, no. I'll, go, go I'll do my rant on gatekeeping after. So please continue. Far, no, far away. I think you got the gist of my question. So go, go, go ahead. No, but it, it's just silly. It's like gatekeeping. Yeah, gatekeeping. It's kind of like hipster or one of these, any pejorative term that's somewhat ambiguous, right? Where it's like, you know, it, it all depends who's speaking it. So you say hipster and it just means someone I don't like in my particular situation. But then right. in other situations, people love gatekeeping, right? Like the, the, it, 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 it's, the point is gatekeeping is like, yeah, time and attention is scarce, right? Like um, you need, you need uh, mechanisms to, uh, to, you know, curation is gatekeeping because you are omitting other things, right? Like right, choosing, yeah. Ch- choosing to support anybody is gatekeeping because you're not allocating those resources or that attention to somebody else, right? I mean, it's, 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 so, so I find it, it's all kind of silly. And also it, it uh, I would push back against it even further because I think like, look, like if you want to keep special things, um, if you want things, if you want things that are special or, or different from, let's say, the, the populist drive of streaming, where it's like, look, like let's get rid of all the gatekeepers. Actually, the best way to determine the best culture, the best art, is to determine what got the most clicks, 
right? That's the that's the perfect anti gatekeeper mentality, right? You're like, look, we, we, no one's making a decision any uh, about anything, right? No one's putting <laughs> putting their head above the uh, uh, the trench to say, no, actually, wait, I think this is a bit shit, right? No, no, no one has to make a decision that's gonna that's gonna uh, generate any any controversy, and then what you get is trash culture, right? You get culture that's really lowest common denominator. Like, no, I think generally like snobbery gatekeeping. These are just uh, pejorative terms to describe actually quite good and important things um and and we can get into you know uh, more interesting conversations i think which is like yes like an ideal uh curated environment like a label or something like this ought to take into consideration you don't want it to just become uh you know uh something celebrating one particular uh, group in in power or another and so on these are all re- very relevant and and fair uh, uh fair things but the idea of creating special <laughs> special special environments dedicated to a particular purpose that doesn't pretend to be for everybody is culture and if you get rid of that you you get trash sorry like yeah uh, uh, yeah <laughs> yeah i 100% agree 100% agree okay so let's talk about permission and consent uh and your oh the have i been trained website oh yeah and all the, all the issues around this i've asked a number of artists mostly socially but um asked the question about whether you know how they sort of instinctively feel about having models use their art and i've, I've got a wide range of response is actually wider than i expected but could you yeah, give, give me a bit of a kind of bird's eye view of this area more generally kind of the importance of it and um obviously with it's extremely relevant to generative ai so yeah totally yeah i mean <clears throat> the genesis to give a bit of a prehistory right so holly and i started playing around with the ai stuff it was like 2016 2017 um and it was in advance we, we ended up releasing this record proto that came out in 2019 but it had been a couple of years of us building tools um to get to that point <clears throat> and uh and it, it's funny because you know you, you're presented with these models and you've got your like gaming rig or whatever to be able to train them and the first question you're asked you have to ask yourself is okay what data do i use right um and and it was funny we were, we were sitting there and it was like oh well this is going to be a big deal right because because you're sitting there and you're like i could put anything in here and it will process it uh you know and train on it and then uh, what comes out is the byproduct of you know what you put in um and so we actually for the the course of that record kind of made that a theme um a, a little bit i think early uh, a lot of people didn't really understand uh, what we were doing in fact we were kind of criticized for it in some corners which still makes me laugh um but <laughs> just, I'll be, i guarantee you they've changed their tune on that now um but the uh but, but our idea at the time was like well and this actually speaks a little bit to the curatorial and kind of keeping culture special part too i think is that we were like okay well, what if we were to make a record and the systems that we train we only train on people we know who whose consent we've asked right that's an interesting way of doing this record versus what i thought would be the cheap obvious thing to do right like sure we could get headlines uh, train a neural network on michael jackson's voice and then have him sing the record and people would be like oh it's you know there would be a big fuss about it and a lot of attention but i'm like that's kind of honestly a shitty thing to do and like not that interesting we've already had those debates around sampling and blah 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 like napster whatever um and so yeah so this idea of consenting data to us uh was interesting one because it was pretty obvious that in order to train the systems that were coming you were going to be looking at what what's called web scale uh data scraping right like uh you know billion parameter models as we see with gpt and some of these diffusion models um require just 
trawling the web, like grabbing everything and anything, honestly, in, in oftentimes a very scattershot way. Um, and we're like, well, that's going to be a thing. I mean, it really raises this question. Like, do we have the right to not participate? Do we have, and also what, what chances are there for artists? If, if for example, you can go to song journey, right. And, make a scuba track um uh that's going to limit your possibility not only uh uh in releasing scuba works but i would argue it limits your opportunities if you wanted to get involved in the ai game and say actually no i'd like to release the scuba model right, right. um yeah. and so so th- we're anticipating that a bit and, and wanting to look and say no actually um there's another way of doing this that's actually probably more interesting which is seeing models as a medium in and of themselves artistically um and models being something that you can curate that could perhaps represent a community or a period of time or a band in in our particular case we put together a band around this model that we the singing model that we created or whatever um and so long story short so it's been kind of a long theme um you know we did the holly plus project which was also kind of experimenting with us a few years later um and then when uh, uh, we had we we'd met um, so uh, Jordan Meyer and Patrick Hopner, who were uh, the other co-founders in the organization, um, we had met them working on some AI kind of art projects. They're very very skilled, and we we collaborated on a few projects. And uh, yeah, we all we all kind of when these uh, big diffusion models, so the big uh, text to image models, uh, started coming out, <clears throat> we kind of made the call like if we wanted to make a. If you want for people at least to have the debate about consent related to data, um, it would be very, very useful to provide them with a tool to search and see what data goes into the training of these models. And so we put together haveibeentrained.com as a mechanism for anyone to go there, see if they're in there, see what's in there, but basically to provide some transparency to what's often a very opaque process, right? People, you know, use magical analogies and so on and so forth. It'd be better uh, uh, to give people access to this information. Um, also, as a kind of precursor to the, to the work we've been doing since then with Spawning more broadly, um, as a precursor to speculating on the possibility of saying we could actually build a kind of consent layer here for data, right? Um, with that being, for reasons I said earlier, I think very important. Uh, and and, and it, it's not important necessarily just because some people might want the right to not participate. I think that, you know, there's going to be some people who take that line and I think they're perfectly within their rights too. I think that they should uh, be given tools to support that. But I think more importantly, likely where this is going to go is everyone's going to want to be a little bit in a public model and a little bit out of a public model because they're want, going to want to pursue their own interests with their data right whether that's wrapping it into a model contributing to something that they chose to contribute to whatever that might mean and so um you know they're really this is this uh this work we've been doing is it goes back to 2017 it it was still very early i mean we took calls with OpenAI. this is before any of these big models were released being like hey you know you should consider doing this right we've been advocating like banging this drum for a long time um but it turns out nobody was really doing anything about it, and so was, that's let me sorry, the, let me yeah. let me just ask you about that. What were what were your what were the what was the response like generally speaking when you were reaching out to those sorts of companies and suggesting this kind of stuff? Um, in honesty, uh, people just hadn't considered it, and I think and I think there's a good reason for that. Really, and and I think again, it's very easy to and look, time will tell uh, whether I'm being naive here. I don't think I am. Um, a lot of these organizations, OpenAI included, 
they began as research projects. You're talking to research scientists who wake up in the morning and think, how do I build the optimal model architecture to make a text prompt return uh, an interesting insight? You know, like that, that's what they're thinking. And there's not really been a paradigm for data training before. Uh, uh, as far as I'm aware, and I've spoken to almost everyone you can do about this, things like copyright largely don't apply. Um, they apply in the spirit, right? The spirit is different from the letter of the law. And so in many cases, a lot of uh, research scientists here were like, look, we got approval from probably legal to do this. They said, we're all in the clear. Uh, the, the results are um, are uh, are actually quite different in most cases from from the training data. Um, so so in, in many cases, people hadn't really... It just hadn't really thought about it. It wasn't really what, you know, uh, and that, that's changed, right? Like, I think that, I mean, I think we've played a bit of a role in this, um, but others others have too, and, and particularly there's a lot of lawsuits, many of whom I think, many of which I think will will fail, but, but have kind of brought this issue uh, uh, more to the public. But um, but yeah, but, but our, our position at least was off the back of how I've been trained, we thought we could build sorry, a, let, let an opt-out, opt-in. Sorry, let me just let me just, mm-hmm. let me just unstruck you again before you before you go on. Just to stick on the um, stick on the issue of like what the the general um, attitude of those companies were. Presumably, the lack of regulation around digital, the, the digital advertising model of Web two. And that that era, the, I guess, like the, the the prior era, which is still the current era, but you know what I mean. The the, the lack of regulation around that, and the you know the, the the way that 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 business model was enabled was must have been significant as well. And I, I guess in the expectations, as much as the general attitudes of what would be possible in building a business model, or was building a business model not necessarily the like the, the you know the first case or the first instance and what um was being thought about at that point because no doubt it is today but i mean going back to that point maybe was it was was making a, making money out of this not in the forefront of these people's minds yeah it, it's a good point i mean it, it depends who you talk to and you're right i take your point i mean around web 2 i think in the field more broadly and this is just the technology field more broadly there is this kind of attitude which has been validated by web 2 where it's like if you make something big enough and powerful enough the law and culture will will conform around your uh, special vision right like i mean spotify started out as a piracy site right um uh, <laughs> um you yeah but but i'll say i mean uh, with uh, with open ai i think that becomes more complicated because i do think um i know uh, that actually that you know, there were intentions to produce to to make that organization uh, an organization for public benefit. That and <clears throat> the idea was: look, we, we have the capacity to build incredibly powerful uh, AI systems. I know that they they approached the U.S. government to say, look, you know, you, you all should fund this. Um, and the fact that um, the organization is now uh, la- largely owned by by Microsoft was kind of a, a means to keep it running. Um, and and so, yeah, I mean, look, there'll be people who say that that's a sob story. I actually think it's it's very likely true. Um, but uh, yeah, but I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the particularly back then, you're talking like 2019 or something, 2018, that like, uh, you know, the, these were, the, the important thing to understand, I think, is that when you're in research phase, the amount of data needed to uh, to even see whether these model architectures worked, um, in some ways necessitated web web scraping of the scale uh, that was done. the The problem is is that once those models were proven uh, to work, um, you know, 
then they became businesses kind of overnight, <laughs> you know, um, like, like I know this with a lot of the, let's say text to image models too. people, these were research projects, side research projects that all of a sudden it's like, Oh Jesus, th- these are really good. Let's charge people for them. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and, and uh, yeah, th- so it's complicated, but but here, I mean, I will say that I've no doubt that there are some malicious actors who are completely self-interested and, you know, uh, capitalism's a hell of a drug, right? Like, uh, there are <laughs> there are all kind of weird, you know, bigger than human uh, incentive games that end up happening in, in funding infrastructure and all this kind of stuff. Uh, uh, but... I wouldn't attribute it to malice. I think that um, I think that fundamentally, this idea of data consent going forward uh, makes a lot of sense, and it just needs uh, groups of people now to get on board with that idea in order to to realize it. And it it wasn't the first order of priority, um, and so that's part of the reason why we've put a lot of time and effort uh, with with the broader spawning group um, to make that happen. And you know, and and to some and some to some degree we've kind of set a great precedent right i mean the the spawning api is currently used by two two of the largest ai companies hopefully more will come on um you know we currently cover one and a half billion pieces of media which is you know uh, over half of creative commons in its entire uh, uh uh existence um you know the the um i, I think that that and, and now we're seeing in Congress, right? Like opt-outs are being mentioned in Congress. Opt-outs are being mentioned uh, at the EU level. Um, uh, you know, so so I think that I think that again, that this is a this is an argument that can be won. Um, uh, but but it's I mean, it's a slog. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, it strikes me actually that <laughs> I'm sure it is. Yeah, absolutely. And and the uh, the attempts to regulate Web two suggest that it's yeah yeah a very much uh, um, an uphill struggle, but. I mean, I mean, opt out is is one thing. I mean, it strikes me that if there's going to be proper, well, if, if people are really going to have rights around this stuff, and it really should be opt in, is that unrealistic? I think so. Yes, actually, that was so. If you go back to, uh, and please don't take this as as pulling rank or something like this because it sounds annoying, but if you go back to the late tens, so twenty eighteen nineteen, that was our position, um, and. I think we're kind of reaching a point. Uh, I don't know if you want to go into the boring regulation around this, right? Like, yeah, no, please do. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in this stuff. Okay, awesome. So so the EU, uh, they released a, a, a copyright exception. This was in the late 10s for uh, machine learning scraping. And they, in that, uh, said, look, everything's fair game, basically. Um, everything is fair game for research organizations, but for commercial organizations, the, if you can find it on the internet, you can train on it unless, uh, that data has been explicitly opted out for machine learning training. So, uh, and the language around that is a little bit ambiguous and we can debate about it, but they set that precedent. So already you have the EU and, and it's important to understand in those circumstances, they were writing that for what was considered a esoteric, um, uh, it's an esoteric research subject. People, they weren't preparing themselves for the generative AI explosion, but it's a law that's on the books. Um, <clears throat> now, since then, um, the EU has been working on the AI Act, uh, and there is nothing in there that says training will be opt-in only, right? And so I look at this, I've been followed it for many years. I think that in a perfect world, in an ideal world, if we could start today, that would be the way it works. Um, but I'm looking at it, I'm like, that's not where things seem to be going. Um, and it's counterintuitive for a lot of people again because they they just in, intuitively expect that copyright is being breached and so on and so forth. And I'm like, it's actually 
far more complicated than that. Um, so then you have a bet, right? Then you have a bet to make. You can say, well, the EU, which I would expect to be given their history with GDPR and all these kind of things, probably the most responsible, the most kind of, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, the most uh, non-negotiable <laughs> with mm-hmm. uh, big tech companies. Um, this is their position. Now let's make a bet whether the US, where you know there's a general consensus amongst the investment community and kind of big business there that AI is the future. Uh, do you think they're going to be more restrictive than the EU? I I would be surprised. Right, things can always change, unlikely. but I would be sure. It would I mean, be the unlikely. Fact that they're largely American companies, and the fact that Congress is so dysfunctional, I think probably both going to be yeah. pretty serious headwinds there too. Right. There's yeah, and they're sitting. The CEOs of these companies are sitting in rooms with Joe Biden and setting up task forces with the government. I mean, I, I just look. The position that we take, at least, is um, one perfection on this is going to be impossible because this is also an international arena, right? Uh, companies in China do not care about IP. Uh, India has a very different relationship to IP. Uh, we all use the global internet, right? The, the, uh, you, it's a w- game of whack-a-mole there. Like even just setting terms in one jurisdiction doesn't mean that someone else, I mean, in the UK, I think as well, they're, everything looks like the UK is seeing an opportunity to maybe be like a data Hong Kong or something, right? Like, I mean, it would be <laughs> kind of, you know, the data Ireland or something uh, as, as an effort to, to participate in this economy. Who knows? Um, but our position, at least, or my position, which is very pragmatic and, you know, I've had to swallow some of my ideals on this, is that opt-out is probably the best thing that we can hope for. Uh, it's a great, opt-out is a great uh, uh, position to be able to build from because it means that, uh, you know, smaller actors, smaller groups could opt out their data from these large public models and then have some self-determination over what they do with their own data. Um, and that's going to be a big enough fight. And that fight, I think that the... I think that, that fight is actually being won right now. Um, you know, and and we've been working really heavily on it. There's other people uh, uh, who've been working on it. I think that I think that that's that's a really realistic op- uh, expectation. But but I will concede that that's not you know uh, it's not an ideal world. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you can work with that. I think you can work with that. I think a, a scenario in which all data is available to anybody and trained on anything is is. Uh, it's concerning, at least on the 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 in the echelons where that really means business. You know, I I think that that is kind of, uh, is not going to work because, because ultimately what will happen then is we'll start to see, and this is the funny thing for me, right? Like the, a lot of the, you get like real freedom of information. I would argue naive ideologues who are like, no, you should just train on anything. And I'm like, that's cool. But in a way you're working against your own interests because what's going to happen there is you say, okay, anyone can train on absolutely anything. And then people who have data that's really valuable are then going to lock it down and we're going to have a more balkanized internet. The internet's going to be far less open. We've seen this with Reddit and Twitter already with their API wars that are going on that only nerds are paying attention to really, but it's kind of consequential because it really plays a part in this. And you're like, okay, so your freedom of information, uh, naive uh, ideology is going to make the internet less open. Uh, good for you, right? Actually, having an opt-out there that the biggest players uh, respect and that allows for everybody to participate in this economy on their own terms is actually going to keep the web open because otherwise people are going to destroy their images, they're going to withhold their content, they're going to pe- you're going to have to pay for everything, and the, you don't want no, but you know, like a freedom a freedom of information uh, ideologue doesn't want that internet. They just haven't thought it through that far. Yeah, I, philosophically, I suppose this all this stuff is a sort of continuation of the. 20th century freedom versus intellectual property debate, yep. wider debate. 
when you were younger, when you were coming into this, do you, I mean, where did you broadly stand? Do you have a clear recollection of where you broadly stood on that, on that argument, that wider argument? So, something about it's always sat wrong with me. I mean, mm. it, in honesty, the, uh, you could say the same with, with sampling. I, I even more extreme than most with DJing, right? Like I think that the, um, something doesn't sit right with me. I think that, you know, if you were to take me, teleport me back to the eighties or whatever, and the sampling debates, I probably would have been on the side of, of free access, um, in that, in those circumstances, but of course circumstances change. And I think that whenever you see a scenario in which somebody is able to take something from someone else, profit from it and not, um, share some of those proceeds with, with, the people who made that moment possible. Um, something about that doesn't sit well with me. I mean, there's the classic story of Gregory Coleman, right? The MM break guy who, who never saw a penny. And, and I mean, the point is, the point is it's always been a complicated debate and it was always, uh, posed as freedom versus you know authoritarianism sampling right. represents freedom versus the conservative stuffy label people i'm like yeah cool when you put it like that i kind of <laughs> like sampling right but of course it's more complicated and victors always tell the stories right so we get now these celebratory stories where it's like sampling created you know these forms of dance music and hip-hop and everything's easy and i'm like well yeah and it's not is it because also a lot of people got screwed over in that and we can we can choose to conveniently omit those stories if you want but that doesn't actually help us in this in the face of this new challenge right that if you then take that same ideology of saying freedom liberty you know we train on anything it's like cool google likes that you know meta likes that uh, <clears throat> microsoft loves that right like uh uh, uh, it, it, it kind of in some ways is in parallel to the beginning of this conversation of kind of like a naive uh, uh, overemphasis on things like independence over time, if that becomes the dominant cultural and financial ideology kind of sours. And it's kind of the same here where it's like, you can't just take that same thing into this, that same uh, principle into this paradigm because that actually screws everybody over. And it means that nobody can make a living off their work or or everyone has to basically play by the terms of whoever has the most GPUs or something like this. Um, and, and so for me, it, it's never sat well. I mean, I'm, I was like uh, probably the, the first person to be banging the drum about, uh, you know, uh, DJ sets and it, the, the discrepancy there where, you know, there used to be, you'll know more about this than I do, but I always understood or inferred that when people sold singles and when record stores were you know selling records all the time djs and producers have this very harmonious balance where you would promote a work a dj would promote a work and then the producer would sell more and so on and so forth and uh in my time at least going to play uh, music festivals you know i don't see that i see you know someone who can change their set every week um by playing someone else's music um charging in some cases ridiculous amounts of money to headline and you know oftentimes uh, the, the people making that work um not you know not really getting any upside from <laughs> from from contributing to that right uh, and 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 so whenever those balances shift it's 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 not a matter of like being uh what's the word kind of uh you know st sticking to your guns and like seeing this as a tribal issue of being on one side or the other it's more looking at the equilibrium and just seeing when the scales shift and being like actually the scales are shift uh, in uh, social media or easy jet economy or whatever have shifted so much in favor of uh, uh djing over over the producers producing that music that maybe this is worth reconsidering right um and and so, yeah, so I've always been a little bit attuned uh, or, or sensitive to that particular issue because I, I don't know if it's what it is about me in particular, but I, I, I'm very like uh, unfairness really bugs me. Like it, it, 
it irritates me. I, I like don't, you know, something seems wrong in the world when when uh, when when things when things seem un- unfair and imbalanced. Um, uh, yeah. And I try not to be like a I try not to be a scold about it or anything. But but I think it but I think it's interesting. It, it, you know, th- these are interesting. These are these are the these. This is where like the meat is in like debates about culture is like trying to understand how you can, uh, you know, tweak tweak the terms or 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 or, or uh, think of different configurations that would actually uh, create more virtuous cycles and, and make make more people more happy or something. You know, that yeah, seems totally. like a more I mean, interesting challenge. Sure. Do you have a sense or a, an intuition or yeah, a, a general feeling about how um, talking about sampling? Like how how might music have or sample based music or, or whatever use of that technology might have um, differed if there had been some more muscular regulatory restrictions around it? I've thought about that a little bit. I, I can't really put my finger on you know other than just being less. But I mean that doesn't seem a bit reductive. You know, like what what's what could the what might the changes have been? What might it have been like? It, it- it it could be I, mean, I I don't know I mean honestly it's hard to I could probably argue both ways right like I think I think as well you you don't want nobody wants for example an internet or a media environment where you know in order to play with something or experiment with something you've got to like get your credit card out and <clears throat> you know you're just like going through series of of you know that's not really how art making works and I think that that's a that's very clear and it's kind of the same with this whole AI uh, training situation right like you know there's a lot of cases where people are just pulling things in and collaging things and then putting together data sets and trying to come up with something. And I think you don't really want to interact with the world where, you know, in order to open up your laptop, your every movement online is being tracked or something like this, like all these dystopian ideas. But I think that really like where the, um, where it settles fairly well is just the idea of like reporting usage of things and, you know, um, and saying, okay, well, in a scenario where you're releasing something that has the promise of of making money, um, you credit appropriately, you know, and that you figure out and 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 you could say the same with with uh, uh, DJing world, right? And like uh, people getting played from uh, paid from uh, uh, music music that's that's uh, uh, that, yeah. that's played of theirs, you know. It, a lot of the times, it actually, um, you know, a lot of the responsibility I do think falls down on they're just being a poorer coordination layer there for actually making it as easy as possible to register stuff as easy as possible for people to get paid, uh, uh, you know, uh, as little friction as possible for the people who are actually bringing value to the works. Cause it's, it's, there's no doubt, right. The sampler and the, the DJ are bringing value to the work in that moment, right? Like the, no money is made unless that thing has happened. <laughs> unless that's what they're, what they're creating in that moment has happened. Um, yeah. So, so again, it, it's, you could argue it, uh, it from <clears throat> from many different uh, perspectives. I guess that when we're talking about like this AI data qu- question, which is its own beast, it's 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 got its own particularities. It's probably even more difficult to wrestle uh, uh, than those. That you can just at least take learnings from those periods and be like, okay, like trying to shut all this down doesn't work, doesn't help anybody, doesn't you know help artists out um, really. Uh, you know, being too uh, Lucy goosey with it also is just ridiculous and, and naive. Um, you know, how do you make it as easy as possible to go through, uh, you know, official channels? And, and that's one of the things actually, you know, that was one of the motivations behind us doing Holly plus, for example, is, um, in, you know, for those who don't know the project, right. We, we released a, a model publicly of Holly where anyone was free to make music with, with her voice. Um, but, 
that was like the technical part. But the, in my mind, the most interesting part was we tried to devise a mechanism to incentivize people making work with Holly or this new version of Holly, Holly Plus, um, to go through official channels, right? So, so we were like, we're not going to chase anyone down who uses the voice somewhere and doesn't tell us about it. Like, fine, whatever. Like, we're not. I mean, if 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 that if that song got to number one, which it probably wouldn't, <laughs> like, we might have something to say about it, right? I mean, we might be like, oh shit, we should have thought about this. But like, but but the more interesting question is being like, well, if you are making work with someone's voice or someone's data actually maybe it's more interesting to go through official channels like to let the you know the source the the origin of that work know about it and i think actually where we're going in terms of everything you know on social media so on and so forth um and, and speaking about interdependence i actually think that that path is kind of more interesting um and it's more interesting also for the we use the term spawning rather than sampling when it comes to this uh, for reasons i could go into but it's more interesting for the spawning artist there to actually go through official channels and see this as kind of a, you know, a collaboration with the the artist in question or the source uh, uh, in, in question than um, than to just go it alone. That actually there's so much more advantage to that. And the and the the analogy I would give there is saying, okay, you know, you can go through uh, SoundCloud and find God God knows like a hundred thousand Lady Gaga remixes, and it's like that's fine, they're out there. She doesn't know about them. She has no interest in shutting them down. Whatever. Um, but the one, you know, is the one that she liked, right? Like the one that, the one that makes money actually is the one that kind of did go through official channels. And, and, and in, in many cases, that kind of collaborative possibility of not trying to get too particular over data, like not trying to get too protective and, you know, try shut, shut things down. Like rather than focusing on that, more importantly is thinking about like, well, mutual fair collaboration in this context could be beneficial for all parties. Why isn't more being done on that side? And that was part of the reason with Holly plus, you know, it was, it was the first, it was the first of its kind to try that. And, and we've since seen other people, I mean, like Grimes is doing her own kind of Grimes plus experiment at the moment using a very similar logic. And I think that, uh, you know, a lot of pe- a lot more people will too, because I think it, I think that's actually uh, uh you know, that's actually the right way to approach this is, you know, a friend of ours, Jay calls it a permissive IP, right? It's like, mm. you know, rather than worrying about, you know, uh, being overly protective over these things, actually being conditional in your permission, that that's actually the future, right? Um, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I'm ranting, but. No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the, the I mean, the Grimes thing is certainly, um, I think, caught a lot of people's imagination. I mean, you're absolutely right to say that there's, you know, a huge amount of, I guess, collaborative value and potentially, well, I mean, remunerative value to all of that stuff. But um, I guess there needs to be a, you know, if, if there's going to be sharing of, of, you know, I don't know what the, the correct terms are, but let's say, you know, sharing of data and sharing of, I guess, creative output, but there, there needs to be some sort of regulatory framework beneath the surface there to point it in the right direction i suppose is my uh my instinct when i was listening to you talk about that because i mean i mean the grimes example and yeah the holly plus example too i mean you structured that through a dow didn't you right the holly plus thing yes yes we did which i guess gave that structure right that was that was the purpose of using a dow my is my understanding of that right yeah I, I, our argument with it with the dow was <clears throat> um if you could see this kind of decentralized open twin of Holly um, as 
something that needed to be maintained, something that could, you know, live beyond uh, Holly potentially, right? I mean, um, it's far more interesting to see a collaborative kind of, let's say, cooperative group of people um, being stewards of the model, determining what happens with um, with Holly Plus than just tying it to Holly herself. Now, Holly's a weirdo, and so she's more into these ideas than many will be, right? Um, but we liked it because also on the maintenance side, right, like um, members of the Holly Plus DAO can vote on appropriate usage of her voice. So even though Holly can jump in and her her uh, voice probably has more weight than others if she really dislikes something or whatever, um, uh, we just saw that as a more robust kind of manageable way of doing this uh, going forward um, and kind of more interesting, just accepting in a sense that, you know, Holly's voice that comes from an AI model is not Holly. That actually that distinction needs to be made. And, and when you talk about like regulatory side, this is actually something that I think will end up happening and, and we're a ways off this because people are still grappling with training data. But I think that um, interesting progressive regulation around acknowledging that a model is in some ways a, part of you right that that we're going to need all kind of regulation around what your rights are in those contexts because because currently models don't even have like a legal classification right like and a machine learning model is a very interesting right this is a you know potentially i mean in the case of a voice model it's, it, this it can only operate in one modality but we're, we're now in the ai field at least talking about multi-modality right the ability for one model to be able to express itself visually uh, through text through audio through voice whatever it might mean um the idea of that model then uh being given some uh some rights uh and 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 importantly those rights being tied to the human that was the 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 the, the genesis or the source of that model, I think, I think will need to happen. Um, and so the closest we could get to that with the available tools and limited budget um, was looking at this kind of uh, DAO infrastructure being like, okay, well, all the tools are in place here in a kind of janky way um, to allow for this to kind of grow outside to, to, to kind of like splinter or fork from Holly and be its own thing. Um, and of course the, the, the cool thing about the DAO structure is that, you know, uh, if it does make any money, uh, you know, 10% of, of the money that comes in goes to Holly, right? So there's this kind of like financial mechanism programmed in there that, that, uh, um, that, that, yeah, that, that makes sure that, that, uh, uh, you know, that, that things stay fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just reading an article today, actually, which I've just got it in front of me and the headline is machines do not have creative rights court rules. So I think there's, um, yeah, there's all sorts of, uh, things that are going to need to happen on there to make to get this lined up and i think i'm right in saying that um a, a human voice you, i mean you don't have a um a human voice is not something which is copyrightable either is it in its in the abstract <clears throat> no and that's that's also why on the the holly plus side we focus more on personality rights right so you can't uh you don't have copyright over your voice <clears throat> but there is legal precedent. No one can pass off. If someone were to train a, a voice model on you, right, they can then go and use that uh, elsewhere. But the second that they say this comes from Paul or Scuba or whatever, um, then they're in trouble. Um, and so personality rights are far more robust in this domain more broadly um, than copyright is. Right, you can't you can't pass off, um, and so that that then applies. Um, but yeah, it's it's a mess. I mean, it's it, it our. I mean, look, our IP 
uh, rules and and they're varying right like in different territories but like ip rules more broadly were barely made for the internet right like <laughs> so so we have like the next internet coming now and it's like geez like this is really duct taped together to try and deal with with the complexities of, of what's coming of course there are some things that are really reliable and cool and this you can't throw everything out but um but yeah we, it, it's a mess it's a total mess yeah absolutely okay so DAOs. DAOs were a key feature or are a key feature of Web3, um, which is something which has lost a lot of uh, lost a lot of its shine in the last year or two. Um, but I think it's something which I think it's still extremely interesting and you know, has so much potential. I know you have a continuing interest in it. Um, can you, uh, well, similarly to my, my opener for AI, can you make the positive case for Web3? And um, you know, why shouldn't pe- why should people not give up on this? Yeah, I mean it, it's tricky, right? Because like I started getting interested in crypto in twenty thirteen, something like that. Um, again, you know, my main interest there um, was looking at the platform dynamics. Um, I contributed to and been a part of conversations about what a decentralized web would look like at the time there was like the you know, fediversy and the indie web was this thing uh, thrown around that the, the problem with a lot of those was they didn't really have financial mechanisms baked in right so you had a lot of really cool ideas that developers would do on the side and produce this cool infrastructure but it never really got to uh it became really difficult to maintain or it was basically being maintained on their dime um, and so w- what was cool about crypto is a-, a couple of things, right? Like the, I mean, some of the ideas, the, the base ideas are just psychedelically cool, uh, to me. Um, but also that a lot of the infrastructure that was being built was generalizable, uh, was being, you know, was just laid down on the table for anybody to use. Um, the interesting part for me, it was, you know, you had this quite dynamic field full of very talented people and you had funding mechanisms because that was the main uh, criticism is you know and now as you saw um you know i mean the, the first couple of waves of like the ico you know these kind of crowdfunding often very dodgy <laughs> uh, uh uh things going on in, in kind of the mid um, you know, the mid tens, uh, towards the latter, you know, there's a lot of criticisms there because y- you kind of have this double-edged sword, right? Like all of a sudden now you had the ability for, um, these technical projects that previously would have been fun, open source things, uh, la- languishing underfunded on GitHub somewhere, were all of a sudden being funded and kind of like IPOing before they even, uh, had a product. Yeah. Very um, well funded as well, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah. Ridiculous. Like, I mean, I, I mean, look, I would, I was actually, I, I worked on a project called Saga. This was in 2014, something like that. Um, 2015. And, uh, some of the ideas were, I didn't really know uh, that that much about like what was happening with Ethereum because Ethereum was also kind of in development, kind of in parallel, um, but had a lot of very complementary ideas to to what uh, what was being built over Ethereum. And so, um, actually, someone from the Ethereum Foundation reached out to me. This was when they saw Saga published it, and, um, and they're like, "You should do this ICO thing." I still think about that sometimes because I probably should have done uh, should have done that. Uh, I don't know, but but yeah, like you know, people raising like. $200 million overnight with a, with a PDF talking about blah, blah, blah. I mean, just crazy, crazy Wild West stuff. Um, now, 
again, the, the thing about crypto, which later, I mean, Web3 came in as kind of like the, the kind of VC approved kind of uh, 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 attempt to kind of uh, commercialize crypto. I call it crypto, right? It's like um, you have this double-edged sword where, you know, on the one hand, there's some remarkable projects that have grown from strength to strength, irrespective of the fact that there is a lot of money flying around, that money is being apportioned. I mean, Ethereum was an ICO project, right? Ethereum was fundraised uh, in the same with an ICO, where people sent Bitcoin to, to receive Ethereum. Um, and I think Ethereum's really doing well, uh, you know, in terms of like, it's never been down. Um, it it does what it says. It has this incredibly thriving community of developers that have built us kind of splinter internet. I mean, it's, it's uh, in my mind, a remarkable uh, and still fascinating uh, uh, network. Um, and for every Ethereum, you have random, you know, uh, trash projects that, 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 raised a bunch of money and then bailed or, you know, pretend to still be uh, working on something, but they're all on a yacht somewhere. Um, and those are the breaks, right? It, again, not in an ideal world, it wouldn't be the case, but you, you put you hit the nail on the head earlier, right? Like when there's money and opportunity, you're going to get grifts. The internet had grifts, right? Like there's, um, you know, the dot-com boom is famous for that, but, you know, we, Amazon's doing pretty well, right? Like, um, so like you're, yeah. So, I mean, but fundamentally for me, the, the interesting part of, of, of crypto, uh, more broadly is, and again, there are, there are problems with it that I think are, are being steadily addressed still to this day, um, are the idea of these different Legos, you'd call them, um, you know, people being able to construct economies around their work, people being able to think of new ways to uh, value or create, you know, uh, uh, create organizations or businesses or collaborations with people um, in a digitally native way that is different from the kind of interactions we're used to with uh, with Web2, which tend to be very top-down, right? So crypto affords you the opportunity to be able to transact in a digitally native way to write contracts that determine where money goes at what point in time in a very lean way. And, and the cool thing about building in that environment is a lot of your maintenance overheads, wow, there's like a building collapsing. It, it sounds like I said, um, a lot of your, a lot of your overheads, a lot of your maintenance costs, a lot of your costs to get things started up are really, really reduced because you have this, you know, you have this network and this suite of openly available tools to be able to construct these services or, or, or art projects or whatever it might mean. Um, you know, and so, yeah, it's always difficult because again, it, it, it's a glass half full, half empty thing, right? Like people, I'm still, I still love NFTs. Right. Um, and then when you bring up an NFT to most people, they think of a Beeple or, or worse, um, and they're kind of dismissive of it and see it as, you know, and I'm like, well, yeah, cool. I mean, I, I think all those arguments are really valid. And at the same time, um, coming from a community of people working with, you know, 21st century practices, right? People working explicitly primarily with generative art tools or, uh, you know, practices that are quite difficult to pin down in, let's say, a 20th century industrial framework. They don't first and foremost prioritize putting a painting on the wall or prioritize releasing a record in a particular way. Um, I've always been, you know, uh, drawn to that community and consider myself in some ways part of it. Um, this was an ecosystem that, uh, that afforded the ability to do really ambitious projects and have them be supported by a whole group of people who wanted to support art. Um, and so, yeah, for every trash PFP project pump and dump scam, there's someone I can point to who, you know, is making a living as an artist or, or was given the opportunity to even speculate making a living as an artist doing things that, that I think are 
very contemporary and 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 you know very distinct from as i say 20th century industry which uh, in my mind uh, you know has in many corners many many corners i i consider quite stale and, and retrograde at this point um yeah so so again i think my defense of crypto is kind of the same as my defense of ai it's just like it's just where you look you know and it's it's always fun to dunk and it's as i say there's a lot of people who who like to sound smart by pointing to the lowest hanging fruit but but the true story is that there's this behemoth new uh new ecosystem that has a lot of crap in it and uh, and also a lot of really really interesting stuff in it and it just depends what you choose to focus on and for me i, I choose to focus on the interesting stuff um yeah Absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, I just, um, I'm, I continue to be convinced by the, you know, the possibility for it. And, you know, I think there are, you know, considerable barriers to be got over, not least in the general perception of, of the, um, of the area. I mean, similar to, I guess, similar to AI, but I think it's more, well, I think it's, I think the, um, the image of crypto and Web3 is, is sort of even worse. I mean, probably as a result of, yeah, the, the last little boom bust cycle, I think, kind of poisoned it in people's minds to to a, to a large extent. So, just to sort of like start tying this up, yeah, one of the things that both you and Holly talk about is the the inability of like the mainstream music industry structure to serve the purposes of anyone other than, I, I guess, the biggest artists, but it's also the, the kind of the, the people making or aspire to that level, I guess. Which is to say, you know, pop and I was gonna say pop and rock, but really just like pop and maybe to a less extent hip hop. Um, people making that kind of stuff and who, yeah, in in their ideal world, want to be, you know, Drake or or Taylor Swift or or whoever. And and when you guys talk about this stuff, it's it's oftentimes with a with kind of half or more than half an eye on a, an alternative paradigm for people who aren't making music, which is just, you know explicitly commercial or you know seeks to operate in, in that i guess sphere so i mean do you have do you have a sense of what that might ultimately look like generally speaking i mean they talk about lots of you know lots of things in the abstract and lots of emergent areas but do you have a a kind of utopian idea about what such an arrangement might entail yeah it's it's a good point i mean i've got ideas for sure um I've tried to build a few of them or at least help others um, uh, work on things. I think, I think if there were like a unifying ideal, this goes back to crypto. um, The unifying ideal in some ways is that anyone who had an idea for how their community might work better or their art practice might work in an idiosyncratic way uh, would be, have the tools at hand to be able to experiment with that. Um, So, my ultimate kind of, uh, uh, if, if I were to get utopian, would be that would be that you know my ideas for how our art career should run, or uh, you know for how certain infrastructure should be in place, um, uh, shouldn't really matter to the next person, right? If if we if we manage to to do things and and carve out a mechanism, a protocol, right? I think with Holly Plus, for example, it's an example of protocol design or protocol art or whatever um if that recipe is then useful to other people other people by all means should feel free to to use that recipe or or tweak it or come up with their own recipe i think that you know i think that the fundamental is more just to say rather than 
um, artists uh, being being told how uh, things ought to work from a top-down basis, which is probably what leads to this concentration of, of power and attention amongst people who, let's say, most dutifully serve the objectives of a Spotify or a YouTube or whatever, um, right? Like those design decisions, uh, uh, those underlying low-level protocol, whatever you want to call it, decisions made on the platform level or protocol level, ultimately determine the culture that that succeeds within those structures um or within those conditions um the 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 idea for me is no like the important thing about culture more broadly is that you there ought to be lots of different pools right lots of different areas where things work slightly differently um and that's why i'd still maintain my interest in 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 crypto and why i think when when you look at the ai challenge which is you know uh, still nascent um you know I think there's a lot of possibilities for people to come toward this and say, look, I, I could, I could lend my opinion about how that might uh, apply in a world that's slightly tangential to me. IE like club world is, you know, it's slightly peripheral. I've mo- a lot of friends in club world, but it's not really my world. Um, I can lend an opinion there, but, but I think most importantly is, you know, uh, people ought to have access and, uh, uh, and, and reliable, uh, 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 what, what's the word like information to be able to to understand how things work and and then understand their position in accordance to to how things work and then number two they ought to have tools at hand that mean that they can you know uh, uh, construct their own protocol or or or, or logic for how uh, things work and my dream is that you'd have 50 100 200 that you know that there would be lots of different uh, protocols that you interact with um uh, uh uh that 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 are tweaked to to produce different objectives you know um and i think culture just gets stale when you know you have a dominant objective kind of uh uh uh, uh uh, 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 manipulating everything else around it. And I think that's why a lot of people, let's say coming from independent music cultures, whether that's club world or whatever, that's why they've, uh, a lot of, a lot of people have, have found themselves quite alienated in the past uh, two decades is you've started to see, you know, the, the pr- primary mode of, of interaction with culture has, has gone online and that started to seep out into the real world. In many cases, there's still some bastions that I can also be critical of sometimes for being, you know, a little like, behind the times or a little kind of too protectorate or kind of conservative exactly um you know i i, I certainly I, I have my criticisms there too but but i also fundamentally understand i'm like no not everyone should be a pop star right i don't think you know in in an instagram world which has become this dominant thing i think it's you know uh it's weird that uh you know your success in music be so tied to your face, you know, like, or, or, you know, or your ability to say relatable things to people online, right? That be, you know, that be the main, I mean, again, it's all fair game that there's going to be corners and pockets of culture where that takes precedence. And I'm not going to push back against that. It's more just when you start to see other traditions or, uh, or other communities, you know, really having to play games that don't fit with them, uh, uh, because my hope would be that, that, that there's plenty of there's plenty of attention there's plenty of people there's actually plenty of money in the world um it's really just it's really just a matter of like creating again that distinction um and in order to create a distinction you need tools to be able to craft that um and uh, and again that's why uh, you know crypto to me I, I will i will defend um uh because 
you know, it, it, if you wanted to put together, hack together something and, and test it out and see how you would want money to flow in, in your world, how you would want, uh, you know, a digital art practice to operate or something like that. There's, there's no better tool set. There's nothing even close, uh, even close to, to that tool set. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, it, it's, uh, I try not to be overly prescriptive. Um, I think with the spawning stuff, you know, the group in general, we're having to be more prescriptive because, we're actually having to build tools that are very opinionated in that space. And, but again, we've come down to this, a similar uh, conclusion, which is that consent is two way, right? Like consent doesn't mean, you know, I don't want to deal with AI and I want to block out of my life. No consent just means that you have a choice and maybe you have some self-determination over how you exist in an AI context, uh, which is something I think is going to become more interesting. And we're, we're doing a lot of work on that in the next year, like uh, really pulling apart what that means. Um, but it's more just to say you have options. You know, like more options is is better. Uh, is is just default better for people. Um, and uh, and I believe that when people have those options available to them, um, many different cultures will flourish. Many of which I might not even like. But that's not the point, right? The, the point is just options and and not kind of like monocultural. Uh, drudgery you know, like bo- right, boring right. dystopic and monocultural dr- drudgery where everything you know everything set yeah uh, uh yeah I, I won't get bitchy but you you ev- everyone has their own that's my scissor statement right like everyone has their own uh, example of uh of what monocultural drudgery uh looks and sounds like and uh, you know <laughs> it, it, it seems it seems quite common uh, at the moment yeah <laughs> absolutely well listen Matt, this has been great thanks so much for your time it's been awesome yeah really really happy uh glad it happened uh yeah very very happy to to chat about this yeah, that was Matt Dryhurst, and what an interesting guy, what an interesting conversation. I think he's doing some really, really important work, actually. And so much of it is at, I guess, the edges of emergent tech that is very easy to just avoid, <laughs> bury your head in the sand to avoid. And, and definitely that's what people do. I mean, like the Web3 thing is, is a classic example. I think there was such a kind of visceral reaction to the, you know, griftery finance stuff around that but actually the underlying technology continues to be extremely interesting in my opinion and i think there's you know, a lot more that can be done with it and that probably will be done with it that whole area if you know anything about it is cyclical so i think it the will is going to come round again on that pretty soon so yeah super interesting and obviously the ai thing is some. Um, well, it's on one hand, of course, it's absolutely terrifying and really scary at, at you know multiple levels. Not just talking about music, but I mean, well, as Matt said, it's here, it's happening. So you've got to get on board at some level, basically. Anyway, this was yeah, this was a really great episode. It's one that I was trying to get in the bag for a while, and I think we'll definitely have Matt back on the show at some stage to talk about the various ways in which this stuff is going to develop because it is absolutely going to develop. That's one thing you can be hundred percent sure of. So. Okay, this has been great. Just a quick reminder before we go that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash official. That would be really, really nice of you. Super, super nice, in fact. So yeah, two tiers there. One is four US dollars a month, the other is 10. So yeah, extremely cheap. And additionally, the other stuff you get as a result of that subscription, the knowledge that you're supporting the podcast, which is obviously the most important thing, right? Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, do that. If you can't do it, you don't want to do it, also good. That's also fine. It's not good, actually, but it's, it is fine. So <laughs> hit the five-star review button wherever you're listening to this. That's a positive contribution you can make. Follow the Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes to that playlist. And join us in the Discord. 
hotflushrecordings.com slash discord is the invite to that discord server and there's a lot of nice people in there having constructive conversations about all this stuff so yeah see you there see you there okay i'm done i'm out i will see you back here same time same place next week for the next episode of the not diving podcast thank you Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.